welcome to Behind the Glass Cabinet, a podcast where I, Ellie Armstrong, explore how science is constructed and displayed in museums. Each week, I'll be joined by a co-host for a conversation about a particular item you can go and see in a London museum. Together, we'll challenge, dissect and celebrate the stories the artefact could tell. My name is Dr. Claire Murray. I work at Diamond Light Source, which is the UK's national synchrotron, and I am a chemist, which Ooh. I think is the best kind of scientist. I also agree. It is very much the best scientist. <laughs> um, and so who are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the amazing Professor Dame Kathleen Lonsdale. Wow. Yes. Always that way around, not Dame Professor? Probably is Dame Professor, actually. I just always forget the Dame, which is, is terrible. <laughs> That's not the important part about her. <laughs> no, her science. She's done amazing science. Yeah. So what did she do? So um, Dame Professor Kathleen Lonsdale was an incredible crystallographer. Um, crystallography is the science of looking at crystals and the atomic and molecular structure inside crystals. It's an incredibly beautiful science and it allows us to see the shapes of atoms and molecules in unprecedented ways. She was one of the forefront runners of this science. So she actually helped us understand the shape of molecules like benzene, which we might chat about in a bit, but also looking at some of the fundamentals of the science. So actually the theoretical understanding, she made an unbelievable contribution to that as well. Okay. And this isn't something that we can just like do at home, right? There's, you need like special equipment to do this. So you work at Diamond. Yes, I do. Um, but before we had things like Diamond um, and synchrotron radiation that, like that, what, what did we use for this? So we used uh, things like the Bragg spectrometer, which is being held in the, the Royal Institution. Um, and the idea there is basically that you take your, your crystal, you expose it to x-rays um, using an x-ray source, an x-ray tube. And then what you do is you turn the crystal to collect different orientations of the crystal and use a detector to detect these different patterns that we get. Um, the patterns that we get just look like a series of spots. And the important thing about the spots is that the spots often have different geometries, different intensities and different positions. And from these three factors, we can actually work backwards and construct what the atoms and molecules look like and what their shape is. Ah, okay. So the Bragg spectrometer that's at um, the Royal Institution, would that have been the one that Kathleen Lonsdale worked on? Oh, I'm not sure. I know that actually there is also one of her computers is being held by the Science Museum as well. Uh, excellent. Yes. There's, there's, Fantastic. There's, she's, I think a lot of the equipment is held all over the place, but I'm not sure. She would have, might have worked on it at one stage. Yeah. I, I'm sure, but I don't know that that was the one she did all of her science on. Yeah, because she really spanned the like um, early part of this field. So theoretically, and then building into the experimental work that people were Definitely. able to do. So Kathleen did all of her uh, secondary schooling here in London and actually it was quite cool because she actually she had to go to the boys school to do physics and maths awesome yeah and her principal at the time said oh look I don't think you're going to be any good at physics so she was like well I'm going to do physics in any way yeah, exactly and, and I'm going to do really well at it yes exactly so she got to top of her class amazing and then went to the University of London I think it was Bedford College and and studied mm -hmm. physics there yeah. the women's college because yes. like you know women's yeah. education and um, and when she finished there she again graduated so highly that she came to the attention of William Henry Bragg, who is one of the the key figures in the field of crystallography. So he won a Nobel Prize with his son. And um, he was really excited about her and her interest in, in science. And so he offered her a PhD place. Mm. And she went and worked with him on, on a lot of organic crystals. Um, and they seemed to really 
get on like a house on fire and and worked really well together. So that was kind of the start of her career. While she was in London as well, she met Thomas Lonsdale, Mm -hmm. um, who was her uh, she eventually married and um, is her husband and they moved together to um, Leeds at the time for a job for um, to get a job for Thomas but while Kathleen was there as well she was also working away in the background yeah because so, th- that's up where there was some work done in Leeds at the time right Bragg was there as well yes yeah Bragg was there as well and she she was just so enthusiastic about her science she really wanted to keep you know looking at all of these she had so many questions that she wanted to answer and I think it's something that is is important to remember that she wouldn't have been able to just drop her kids off at a nursery, that her and Thomas, they had to work really hard together to actually balance that out. So he would come home in the evenings and mind the kids while she did an awful lot of maths and would sit at her kitchen table, like working through calculations and looking at structure factors. And that is, you know, it's something that we are, are working to to rectify now that people can actually do what they want to do when they want to do it. Yeah. But it's something for the time that was really admirable because actually that would have been really difficult to handle um, and would, would have needed a, very, a lot of cooperation to make that happen. Yeah, so it's unusual that she was able to continue working for so long, even after she had children. But I think Thomas was really supportive and I think he said, I, I couldn't stop her. You yeah. know, I wouldn't stop her, you know, and I think that's... That was quite unusual for the time too. Yeah, so. and it's because because she lives around the time. It, this is the 1920s we're yeah. talking about. So this is during yeah, the time yeah. where some women start getting the vote, and there's lots of kind of progressive work on. Um, yeah, I mean the Braggs themselves. That the father actually is quite unusual in that in his group over the period of of time of research, he had seven men and eleven women. And some of the women are the famous crystallographers that we know, right? Yes, definitely. So I mean, Kathleen Lonsdale is just one of many. We have people like Rosalind Franklin, who lots of people know about and did amazing work on DNA. She's an incredible scientist. She also did lots of work on graphene as well. And mm-hmm. um, then you have. Uh, Dorothy Hodgkin, of course, Nobel Prize winner, mm-hmm. um, looking at things like insulin and also penicillin. Um, and I think these things are, well, I just find it so amazing that so many women were able to be involved at the time that, because, you know, there were so many barriers to them actually participating mm. in the science that actually they they managed to break through themselves was, was brilliant. Yeah. And so what particularly did Kathleen work on? One of the biggest things that Kathleen worked on was benzene. Okay. Um, and for our uninitiated listeners? Benzene is one of the byproducts in gasoline. It's also used an awful lot in organic synthesis. It's it's a big deal in industry. And it's something that is is quite dangerous in itself. It's actually carcinogenic, so it's not oh. something you want to be throwing around the place. Yep. Yep. Um, but it's a, a molecule that was very poorly understood because the bonding in benzene was very unusual. It was nothing like anyone had ever understood before. So... Chemistry, like many sciences, has lots of fundamental rules and benzene broke a lot of the rules and people didn't understand why. So they've been arguing about this for over 60 years. I mean, Faraday was one of the first people to have discovered benzene and then a gentleman called Calcule came along and proposed a structure of benzene. He, he apparently dreamt of a snake biting its tail. Ah which yes, is, a good yeah. old dream. <laughs> yeah, which is a good old dream and that's that was sort of the fundamental structure that people took forward. Um, the issue with that structure was that it was very static. Mm-hmm. We now know that's not the case, that benzene is actually quite a, a molecule in motion, essentially, that the bonding is constantly moving, but that was not something that was understood at the time. Um, and Kathleen took hexamethylbenzene, and that's important. Um, you might say, well, why are you now saying hexamethylbenzene rather than benzene? Well, to do an experiment on a crystal, you need to have a crystal. And benzene is actually liquid at room temperature. So they took hexamethylbenzene instead, which is a crystal, which is crystalline at room temperature. 
and she did her experiments on that. And it's um, it's a really detailed and beautiful paper that she's done. You look at the structure of benzene and actually work out that the bond lengths, the distances and separations between in benzene, and benzene is literally just a ring of six carbons with hydrogens coming off. Mm. Hexamethylbenzene is a ring of six carbons with methyl groups, which is carbon and three hydrogens coming off all the way around. And the bonds between the central ring of carbons is um, all of the atoms are exactly the same distance apart. This just broke boundaries at the time. People didn't understand. They thought this was incredible. Um, it was also quite controversial. So people like Pauling, for example, were a little bit unhappy about this because it was something that really messed with people's minds. It was not something we thought could be possible. Um, but her experiment is 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 amazing and still holds up to date as, as being exactly correct in her understanding and interpretation of the data. So it's something that I think really broke boundaries at the time. Yeah, because before this, people had assumed that it was, they were like alternating bonds. So that yes. we should see different bond so lengths. See short length, short, long, short, long. Um, and actually the bonds are all the same length, which was not something they were expecting to see. No. So yeah, it was a, a big deal. And that it's not in a, in a three-dimensional shape. Oh yeah, it's flat. Yeah. And that was another thing that chemists were not expecting to see and, and didn't. I think Kilcooley sort of had hints maybe that it w was flat. They, they did have some mm -hmm. suspicions, but her her experiment was the proof mm -hmm. and the fundamental um, interpretation of that. So. Because flat is quite unusual in chemistry. Most <laughs> most molecules have a, a like three-dimensional array. Yeah, flat is very, very unusual in chemistry. Um, it's A lot of that comes down to sort of electronics in the sense that you're trying not to have too many attractive or you know, unattractive forces compressed together. Mm -hmm. So the bonds often try to pull themselves as far away from each other as possible mm -hmm. um, while still remaining bonded. And that's a difficult balance to get. So, yeah, it's something that's quite unusual to see. But this was flat, which was, again, really confusing for the time. Yeah. And so she put this forward. Presumably she wrote a paper about it. Yes. And there is a solo paper. Um, there's a couple of papers, actually, but the, one of the big ones is in Nature, which is quite, even for the time, it was a massive, a massively important paper and a, a big journal to be publishing in. But she's the sole author, which is incredible. That's amazing. Very rare to get sole author yeah, papers in definitely. science. Um, and, and people like Pauling, they don't necessarily believe it, but presumably the rest of her group were on board with her interpretation of this data. Yeah. And it goes on to be how we think about benzene to yeah, this to day. Date. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. And is that the only thing that um, Kathleen works on? Well, she's... She's worked on quite a lot of different things. Um, one of the other things she did was she used a technique called divergent beam, which is uh, quite a complex technique. But one of the things that allows her to do is actually look at the carbon-carbon bonds in uh, diamond. And her measurement of these bonds using this technique is the best, like one of the best measurements yeah. to date and still holds up as being one of the best measurements to date. So this measurement, you know, it's been done over 80 years ago, but still is one of the best measurements to date. So that's incredible. So when you're looking at different materials, um, one of the things you want to understand is how are they similar or how are they different to each other? And the separation between atoms gives us an awful lot of information about these attractive and repulsive forces that are holding materials together. So when you know that, for example, the bond lengths in carbon in diamond are, for example, a bit longer than the bond lengths in benzene, then you can understand a lot about the chemistry that actually um, comes from that and how the molecules and materials behave. Yeah, and that would be, again, uh, 
different to the bond measurements that Rosalind Franklin might have been taking in graphene yes. if she was working on that, because these are all different ways of yep. arranging carbon in space. Yep, definitely. Amazing. Um, was there any particular reason why Kathleen and like Rosalind Franklin were all working on these organic materials? Is it particularly interesting to you as a chemist to look at organics rather than um, inorganic? Well, I mean... When the father and son, um, William Henry Bragg and William Lawrence Bragg, were working on the field of crystallography at the time, they decided to break it up between them. So one took organics and the other oh. took inorganics. Oh, they didn't know that. Uh, yeah, they separated it out between them to, as a way of kind of dividing <laughs> and conquering. I yeah. was going to say, like a, a classic Victorian gentleman yeah. strategy, like you take this part of the world and you take this part yeah. of the world. Wonderful. And on so they, they did that between them. And I think both fields have really kicked off even like to date you can see that there's still some amazing science going on in both of these areas so looking at things like organic structures looking at pharmaceuticals for example is where an awful lot of organics are, are seen these days but also looking at things like biological structures where there's huge groundbreaking advances being made i mean the nobel prize has just been won um, and by a massive group of people but also francis arnold is one of the people who is still doing crystallography as well so her group actually published crystal structures using these techniques to understand the molecules. Wow. So, so yeah. even in 2018, exactly oh, yeah. the same thing. It continues all the time. Amazing. And after she kind of did this work on benzene, Kathleen goes on to have uh, become kind of a tenured professor, right? She does here at UCL. So it's, it's a big deal. And I think it's something that was groundbreaking for the time because I think she was the first. Yeah. And that's you know, an incredible achievement for anyone to have. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, getting a professor, let alone being the first, you know, female professor. But she also goes on to have loads more firsts. Yeah. And that's what makes her really interesting. And I think it gives you an insight into how hard she had to work. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we we overlook that because it's, mm. we think, oh, all these achievements are great. But actually the volume of work she had to do to get there was, was incredible. So mm. she was also one of the first women admitted to the Royal Society, which is an incredibly prestigious um, affair. And that was with Marjorie Stevenson was the other woman. She was also one of the first female heads of the International Union of Crystallography. Mm -hmm. um, one of the first female heads of the British Association for the Advancement of Science, which is now known as the British Science Association. And that also links back to the fact that she took public engagement. She took the education of students and, and secondary students and, and primary school students very seriously. So her there's a quote that's attached. Uh, it's about her. She didn't say this, but she never refused an opportunity to go into schools because she really valued those opportunities to to share her science and to try and inspire students to do science. So would she like get the students to do the crystallography with her? I don't know. There's not a lot of information available about what she did at oh the time. Um, I would love to know more about yeah. that. But I think there are some hints. I mean, crystallography itself has always been quite a a communicated and communicatable science. Mm. And if you look at like the Christmas lectures, for example, the Braggs are one of the first people to do these. Okay. So it's the science has always been a big science to be spoken about and shared. And so I think that's something that has been spread across the board. I mean, we still continue to do it today. So. Yeah, I guess there's something kind of uh, really enticing to know about like what things look like on the molecular oh, yeah. level. It's, it's a beautiful science and that's what makes it so alluring you know you want to spend ages looking at all these atoms and molecules and where are they and what are they doing and yeah. and even and the patterns you get out are oh really yeah. beautiful they're so stunning they used it the welcome yeah they were and they were actually used in the 1951 festival of britain really yeah so there's a big celebration of um at the time obviously that's been to the war you want to try and celebrate um achievements and things and crystallography because there were so many great uk scientists attached to it and 
I'm Irish as well, so that's a great Irish sound attached to it, who moved to the UK. Like Kathleen. Yeah, like Kathleen. And Helen McGaugh is the other one, actually. So she's also Irish, but she was at Cambridge at the time. She was in charge of the Festival of Britain. And what that meant was that they worked with local textile artists to use some of the patterns from crystallography that we had collected at the time and transform them into things like textiles. So they had placemats, they had curtains, carpets, they had wallpaper, knives and forks, dresses, all of these things were made out of these patterns. And there are some bits and pieces you can still see. So I know The Welcome has some some of the patterns in its shop, actually. Mm-hmm. But there is also a huge store of, I think it's in the V&A as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's something that is, is really beautiful. And you can look it up online too. It's wow. called Festival Britain 1951. Amazing. Um, and uh, you're saying that this is something that really gets publicised after the war. Uh, because in, in the time of the Second World War, this the people who were working on crystallography were kind of picked up and they were asked to be used use their techniques in terms of like knowing what things looked like in in war related fields so i know william bragg has moved into looking at things like sonar um, yeah and also goes into war service as well so yeah, yeah there, there's there is quite a big um engagement with crystallographers during the war kathleen's engagement is interesting though because kathleen is um, it's a Quaker. So obviously Quakers are very peaceful people and they are pacifists. Um, what happens is that Kathleen is asked to do war service, but it's it's against her religion and against her fundamental beliefs to to engage with this. And so she, she explains this and the government say, no, well, everyone has to do it. So we're going to fine you. She's like, I'm not paying the fine. I This is against my religion. Mm-hmm. And so they put her in jail for a month in Royal Holloway Prison. And while she is there, she does everything she's supposed to. So she scrubs the floors like the rest of them, but also writes one of the fundamental textbooks of crystallography while she's there. Wow. That is still used to date. Wow. So she's uh, quite a woman. What's the book? Um, so it's the book is called The International Tables of Crystallography, and it's something that every crystallographer uses all the times. Um, she wouldn't have written the whole thing. She wrote part of it, but it, quite an important part of it that actually describes how all these atoms and molecules are arranged in the crystal structure. And I think I've amazing. used this book. You probably have. I probably have. This is very exciting. Yes. Written in jail. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. That's not something you can say about every book. No, it's not something you can say about every book. And I, I mean, it, it's an amazing source and it's an incredible book in itself. It's enormous. It goes across, like, I think it's up to six volumes now. And, and she didn't write all of that. She <laughs> some of it, but it's it's still an amazing contribution to have made, and it it gives us such a good theoretical understanding of this. Because the thing that's very easy to forget is that this science is underpinned by so much maths mm. that is 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 essential. Without it, we wouldn't understand what we were doing. So we needed to have that theoretical understanding before you can start moving into the experimental. So when we see uh, things about X-ray crystallography in museums. We've got the Bragg spectrometer at the Royal Institution and there's stuff about molecules at the Science Museum, things like graphene and diamond. I think there's also another spectrometer there as well, from what I remember seeing. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of... Um, it's such a fundamental science mm. and it has given us so much in our understanding of the world around us that it is impossible to ignore, you mm. know, and, and should never be ignored. I think it's a really interesting time for crystallography mm. because it's so... It's it's so critical to so much science, but it's now almost becoming routine. So people are kind of ignoring how much work has been done or is needed to understand these molecules, mm. which is, is quite an interesting thing for us to see because we want to 
to continue to do it. But obviously we need people to understand how important it is as well. So it's really important to engage in these conversations. And I know that there's also some stuff at the Science Museum to do with the structures that Dorothy Hodgkin Mm. did and Rosalind Franklin did. Do you think there's a reason why we don't talk about Kathleen so much in these museum spaces? I am not sure why we don't talk more about Kathleen Lonsdale. And it is a source of never-ending disappointment that we don't, because I think she's incredibly interesting. I think she also underpins so many fundamental things about science. So looking at it sort of objectively, she got on and she did the work. And I think that in itself is often unusual in, in the sense that people prefer to to often focus on the challenges that women faced than actually focus on the science they did. And And whilst the challenges are important, it's also really critical that we talk about their science. Mm. So I think with Kathleen, it's really strange that she's not spoken about more and, and celebrated more. And I know people are trying to to do this. So I know the ORI is doing some work on trying to to pull her story more more to the fore. Um, Michael Laser has written some really interesting articles about her. Um, I, I try to mention her wherever I can. I know that's why, that's why you're here. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm here. Um, so I really don't know why she's not celebrated more. And I... I I think maybe part of the reason might be that her story is still being unpicked. So I know the, the ORI have a huge volume of, of of papers and things about her. She left an awful lot of that to the ORI and also to the Quaker Museum and they're, they're working out who owns what. Um, but mm. there's an enormous volume of work there. So I think they're trying to to work through that story. And I'm hoping that when they, they're able to do that, that we can actually get a lot more knowledge about her because I think we really only know the surface story. Yeah, And she brings a different... Um like she she predates some of these other science these other female scientists that we're more familiar with. Definitely, uh, she was very very involved in the core understanding of crystallography, and mm. I think that's what makes it especially interesting because a lot of the work that other scientists have done would not be possible without her understanding. I would like to see more about her, and I'm I'm hoping slowly but surely that we will be able to to do that and pull those stories forward yeah and especially at places like ucl um, of course I given mean, that she, amazing yeah th- given that she was the like a professor mm-hmm. here um it would be it would be fantastic to get some more information about you know her involvement out there more widely circulated definitely and i think also like i say one of the things that people should remember about her is that she was an amazingly talented lady in many different areas Mm. Uh, an amazingly talented scientist excuse me in many different areas so not only did she do incredible science that has changed our understanding of the world and and the understanding of so many people's worlds and she also engaged with students she engaged with she was very supportive of women in science Mm -hmm. very very supportive of that and she did lots of work for her beliefs and I think that's something to be admired because actually quite often you feel that you can't with science you often are are, it's felt that you can only do science and you shouldn't do anything else and I think we're seeing that a lot at the moment on places like Twitter where people are 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 kind of being told oh you should only talk about science don't talk about other things Mm. um whereas we are living breathing three-dimensional people Mm. with with beliefs in in many different areas and and things that we find important and, and critical and so I think that's something that's really to be admired about her, that she she was able to cover that breadth in a time that would have been incredibly challenging for her to do that. And mm. I think it really must have taken a lot of confidence and and energy to do that. So I, I really admire her for that. I'm thinking about these different areas and what we would have if we were to show kind of 
the plethora of things that she did. Um, I mean, I presume there'd be papers and um, articles written about her and in terms of the stuff, maybe there are records of speeches that she gave and things like that. Um, but I was wondering, do you know if she did any work on developing instruments in the field? I know she built an awful lot of her own instruments, actually. Um, and if I remember correctly, one of the computers that she used um, has actually been stored at the Science Museum and is still working and is one of the oldest oh. um, uh, computers of the type uh, there. She did an awful lot of technical developments as mm. well um, with the kit. And so I think that's where her understanding is so detailed is because she was able to she understood the experiment so intrinsically because she broke down each of the different parts of the mm. spectrometer and actually spent time understanding what they did. And um, one of the, the crazy things that in retrospect now sounds mad, but at the time it's what they did to actually align the beam. So the X-ray beam, you would look down the collimator with your eye. And when you felt the burn on your eyeball, you would know that it's ready to go. And she would have done a lot of that <laughs> oh at the God. time. Um, thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore. But, Good. I'm glad um, to know that your yes. eyes are safe. Yeah, but it's something that they, they did at the time. So I think it's really, really interesting to to think about all that work that she would have done with all these different parts of the instruments to actually make these experiments happen. So when we think about showing or talking about her in the museum, it's not that we don't have or couldn't have these objects. Like no, there are not. like material culture things that surround her life as a scientist. Mm. Um, I mean, I think a lot of it is things like, for example, we have um, lots of, at the time they would have used things they call like beaver's lips and strips, which are... are, are <laughs> I hope you're going to explain this more. I'm so intrigued. Um, so they, they would have used those at the time for kind of adding up cosines and sine waves. What are and they? They're like a series of strips, basically, that okay. you would have used to, to kind of mark on, on them uh, for different intensities wow. and things like this. So um, they, are, they are held, they're around the place, mm -hmm. but... Um, I think some of those that she might have used would probably be in the ORI collection. I could be wrong, but they, yeah. they would be really cool to see. Mm -hmm. um, I think also things like even the structure of benzene or mm -hmm. probably hexamethylbenzene, let's yeah. be honest, should yeah. be should be held. Mm -hmm. um, because these are kind of big, they made these structures. Mm -hmm. do you, so I I'm, mean, benzene's actually quite a small structure, like compared to, say, the molecule of, of you know, DNA, which yeah. is massive. Yeah. It, this one would be a lot smaller because it's literally... You know, you're looking at six atoms in the centre for the um, benzene ring and then you've got the methyl groups, the CH3s, all the way around. So it's not going to mm. be big, but it would be enough to generate conversation around her. Because um, they made these like structures on sticks yeah. that used to make yep. physical representations of yeah, what definitely. these would look like. I think also one of the cool things that you could have about her as well, because there are some pamphlets being held by the Quaker Society about her work around peace because um, she was very, very pro-peace, obviously, as we, we mentioned before. And they have an awful lot of these pamphlets um, that okay. they could also add to the story as well. So yeah. I think with Kathleen, almost it would, I appreciate museum spaces are very difficult to work <laughs> in, but you would almost like to see maybe two or three objects that are maybe smaller objects, mm. but that could generate the conversation around the different, uh, different beliefs that she had and the different contributions she made. Yeah, interesting. So kind of moving the scientist from a single single dimension yes. and pulling out uh, like multiple dimensions of different scientists. I, I would love to see that because I think it's often, like I say, it's something that I find very mm. dangerous to think that scientists are just scientists. Mm. Um, and we are 
you know, everyone is so much more than that. that yeah. We're not just one dimension. Yeah. Well, and it's important to think about that both in a positive and in a negative sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, so whilst we're talking about how fantastic Kathleen is in many different ways, it's also important to remember that some scientists, maybe we like value their contributions, but we don't necessarily celebrate, we maybe shouldn't celebrate them in the same way. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of talk about different scientists that we let's not go into them because it's, it's no. a detailed yep. and, and difficult <laughs> situation to be in but I think there are some scientists who maybe didn't behave as well as they should have mm-hmm. uh, and I think there are conversations that could be had around that um, and again it gets difficult how do you balance up what the mm-hmm. important conversations are to have around these scientists mm-hmm. but I think it's yeah it's definitely important to get a perspective of scientists as people rather than as robots yeah. because that is um a, a very incorrect thing to think of us. We, we are fallible people. We we make mistakes, and actually, the best science is done through mistakes. Yep. Um, and I, being honest about your mistakes. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think people often think that you, you can just you know that science it works yep. right away. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I I just I. I, that breaks my heart because you think actually I've spent hours and hours in the lab crying over this, <laughs> getting this totally wrong, making so many mistakes and and thinking about things like not even mistakes as well, but but process. Mm. I think sometimes people, um, you know, they, they don't understand that process is, is something that uh, takes time. So thinking about, for example, uh, Hodgkin is one example that we could give the the structure of insulin. I think it took 10 years. Yeah. Now, 10 years, you know, that's <laughs> such a long time. But nowadays, okay, it would be much faster. It would probably be more like 10 minutes, really, from from all the upgrades that we've made. Mm. But science is not something that happens instantly. And this nonsense of like a light bulb moment, it yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. Or, you know, it really rarely exists. Yeah. And we're talking rarely as in less than 1% of the time. Yeah. A lot of science is tiny, 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 tiny step changes. And, you know, question each and every single one of those step changes to the nth degree. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think conversations around that need to be to be had, because if you foster the idea in people that science is just instantly correct, mm-hmm. that it always works, then something is going very, very wrong because yeah. we don't understand that actually science is like life. Yeah. Well, and that's why it's important to think about Kathleen working on developing all of these um, instruments on the like real understanding, like the technical tacit understanding that she has and how that helps her develop all of yes, this fantastic absolutely. science. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything you would else like to add about Kathleen? Um, I, I think I might add one. There's a quote that I really like. Oh, there's two quotes technically that I really like about Kathleen. And I think it gives an, an idea of how well respected she was had in the field at the time. Um, so one actually comes from Dorothy Hodgkin. Um, it was an amazing scientist in her own right. So Nobel Prize in her in chemistry. Um, she said that there's talking about Kathleen, there's a sense in which she appeared to own the whole of crystallography in her time. And I think that really nicely encompasses all of her different contributions. Mm. Because like I say, she was not just a person of one, like a one trick pony. She, she did many, many different things. And mm. that, that sums that up really nicely. I think the other one, which I, I just, I really like because it's, it, the imagery I think is, is quite magnificent. Um, and it's, it's, comes from W. Hume Rohery, who said that he, he remembered a, a visit to the Royal Institution where he saw, quote, the figure of Dr. Lonsdale appearing through a cloud of mist like a glorified spectre of the Brocken while her assistant pumped liquid air over a crystal. 
And I think that, that sums it up so beautifully. I because love this. I mean, it's such a stunning quote, but I think it it gives you an idea of sort of the illusion around her, but also it also gives you something important because it tells you that she was there doing the experiment. And that is really important. And I think that sums her up so perfectly because she would have done the work. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. Is there anywhere, Claire, that people can learn about what you do outside of talking about Kathleen Lonsdale? Um, follow you online, see you talk about anything? Um, probably Twitter is the best place to find me. I'm at Dr. Claire Murray. Uh, but to be honest, there's loads of cool things about crystallography in general. So just, I mean, Wikipedia is a great source actually for, for some of the stories that are on there, but also things like going to the science museum because they do have quite a few bits and pieces there and the royal institution has loads so i definitely recommend going into the basement because they've got lots of stuff in there about that um and i think the welcome occasionally have some bits there too about that but that's just here down in, in london i know there are also lots of odds and sods held i think by um up in edinburgh they've got some bits in some of their museums but also in Leeds, I believe as well, they have some some of the information there because Leeds is also one of the big hotspots for crystallography. Fantastic. Have you got any projects that you'd like to plug? Anything that people, any conferences that people can come and see you talk at? <laughs> um, I think, well, I, I have my finger is in a few pies, shall we say. Um, but I think one of the cool things we're working on at the moment is actually linked back to and was started by um, looking at secondary school textbooks um, about Kathleen Lonsdale. Um, it triggered a a sort of thought kind of going, OK, what does the landscape of chemistry textbooks look like in relation to women scientists? And so myself and Dr. Michael Seary are actually doing a big systematic review funded by the Royal Society of Chemistry of secondary school textbooks in the UK and in Ireland um, with the long term aim of making a difference. So actually trying to change who we talk about and making sure we open up these doors a bit more. Fantastic. Thank well, you. thank you so much. My pleasure. That's it for this episode of Behind the Glass Cabinet. Thanks to Nicolette Chin, my editor and producer. Thanks to Sam Lee, the composer for the track of this podcast. And thank you to the University College of London Department for Culture and the Department for Science and Technology Studies, without whom this podcast would not have been possible. I've been Ellie Armstrong. You can find me online at, at Ellie the Element. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.